Thank you for listening to the Fearless LA podcast. We believe that where love is greater, fear is less. Tune in today to hear a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Jeremy Johnson. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know, come on, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Come on, I love that. Plans, and, and, and it says for welfare, but another version says plans for hope. I, give, I have plans of hope and a future for you. you. There is a future that God has planned for your life, and right now I am simply the sign to remind you it's coming. I was in the back of the room, and there's a sign for some kind of electrical light parade festival coming up, and it was there, and I was thinking, wow, that would be really fun to go to. Um, And I seen the sign, and I believed that the sign is introducing an event that's coming. Many of us put more faith in some sign for event that we pay tickets for than we do for the sign that God is saying over your life I have planned greatness and hope in your future. How do I know this? Because many times we don't want to go to the future. (laughs) Have you ever been depressed? You ever been anxious? You ever said, I don't want to live anymore? Uh, Maybe you didn't say it out loud because then people might start freaking out. But you said it inside. I just, I can't do it. I can't, I just can't do it anymore. What, What is that saying? It's saying, I don't believe that the sign you've given to me about now is for a hope of a future. Because if we really believe that you were born for greatness, you would take great joy in every trial, every situation. We would say, God, thank you, Lord, for what I'm walking through, for I know that this is seasonal. This, this thing I'm walking through is seasonal. I know you have greatness for me. We are born for greatness. My, we have a Three kids, uh, a baby up there, seven months, almost eight months now, um, eight months. And, um, and then we have two other children, Lyric and Brave. So Arrow is up there in the lounge, and then we have Lyric and Brave. And uh, before uh, we begin to have kids, we didn't have kids. I know that is very complicated, but, um, uh, <laughs> but I say that because, you know, we, we were in our 30s before we started having kids because um, we were youth pastors and we had so many kids. Chris Davis was one of our kids in youth ministry, still is one of our kids. And uh, I knew Chris Davis when he was probably like freshman or junior high right in there. David, our youth pastor, I knew him before he had tattoos. He stood in the front of the church and he was the cutest little guy. I mean, I don't even know if he's supposed to be there or he was just really short. I don't know which one. Um, I knew it was a high school camp. I thought maybe he was in junior high, but maybe he just grew up short. And, uh, and so, but now he's just so handsome. And, uh, but we had so many kids that for a while we just didn't have kids because we, we, were, we were overwhelmed with the kids we had. And, and then when we got ready to start having kids, we, we started getting the vision for it. Um, we began the journey and then we got pregnant. And then um, we told everybody and we were real excited. It was our first kid. We told the whole uh, 10,000 member church. And everyone was cheering us on, and we told the youth ministry they were all ready to be uncles and aunts. And then we had a miscarriage. And that child is now in heaven with Jesus, so we actually have four children. I can't wait to meet Noel. 
Um, she's up there running the streets of gold, but I never got to meet her on this earth. And so then we went through depression, anxiety, fear, worry, and trying again, and the embarrassment of having to tell people and the, the, the months of people coming up to us and congratulating us on something that was dead. And it was difficult. And we were struggling. And then we were at this camp in Texas. And this assistant of the head person was praying for us. They had heard that we wanted to have a baby. And they were praying over Christy's womb. And then they got a word for her over her womb. And they said this. They said, you have to be okay with God's perfect timing. This child will come. But it is not going to come on your time frame. Because God has a plan for this child. And if you take God's plan and you put it in the wrong time, it will ruin the plan that is made. And so they begin to help us understand that every child we have is born for an hour, for a moment. You and I were designed not to just be... We were designed to be now. God chose you now. He chose your gifts now. He chose your call now. He said, okay, uh, Daniel, you'll be then. Um, Even uh, Peter, you'll be then. Um, Mary, you'll be then. But Christy, you'll be now. And I need you now because there's a world that's hurting that needs what you have. I, I need you now. There is greatness only in the timing of God. How many have realized that if you get out of timing, everything is thrown off? We, we, uh, you know, everything on this earth is in timing. Um, the ocean is in perfect timing when it hits the, the, the shore, the waves. In fact, there's in such good timing, if you want to go to sleep, you listen to sounds of nature. And the sounds of nature are revealing God's perfect harmony in timing and rhythm in everything he created. But for us, we get stressed out when it's not in our timing. But God wants me to remind you today, you were born for such a time as this. God has a hope and a future planned for us God pre-knew and pre-decided all that you would be. The Bible says there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. Because it's already done. I was born for greatness. God is a great chef. We'll just call him the iron chef. You know the iron chef, that show, they, they, they can pick the weirdest thing they can find. And they put in the ingredients. The guy's like, oh man, a, a fish toe? I didn't even know there was a fish toe. Somehow they're like making something amazing out of a fish toe and this is the toe of a fish and, and the person is eating it and it's like what's wrong with you it's like a special ingredient octopus tentacles and and so god is the iron chef he's not shocked when they pull back the thing and say today we're gonna put in there abuse when they were five today we're gonna put in there gets really nervous in crowds god's like perfect doesn't even sweat. God will take every ingredient that is in your life and he will make something that tastes 
new to who tasted. It's not the ingredient, it's the chef. You understand? It's not you. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I would mess up if I tried to cook something great with my life. I would totally screw this. I could take the same ingredients and not make anything. In fact, when I go to the fridge, I get nervous. I look at the fridge, and I start getting nervous immediately. I'm like, eggs and bacon. That's what I can do. My wife goes there, and she's like, okay, we could have this. We can have that. We can have some arugula. She, she, and she's got all these. She has different eyes. The only difference is our eyes. We're looking at the same ingredients, but we see two different patterns. Let me say this. You are not a microwavable item. You're like, oh, I'm just a failure. No, you forgot to add in time. Purpose, destiny, God never messes up. I feel like I'm messed up. How does this work? Time. You forgot time. God is not cooking in a microwave. He's not heating you up in three minutes. And then here you are. God is a, he's working slow through the process. There are some ingredients in here that all the, the bitterness has to be cooked out. All the anger has to be dealt with. We're working on stuff. God is mixing this, stirring this, and heating this up. And he's waiting for the oven to heat up just right to throw you in the final process. Oh, it's getting hot in here on purpose. He's cooking something we always hear the thing, well, I'll set a table in the presence of your enemy. You didn't know you were what he was setting on the table. You didn't know you were what he was cooking for the meal. God is, God is going to use your life for others to taste. God is going to use your, people, you, you know what you're tasting right now through this sermon? You're tasting a guy who went through stuff and didn't quit. You're tasting the life of someone who was rejected and still loves people. You're tasting the life of someone who was hurt and then got healed. You wouldn't be here if I was still hurt and bleeding. You wouldn't be here if I was still bitter. You wouldn't be here if I was like, ah, oh, people, I don't, I don't do people. Now, that's, I'm, not, I'm not like I am because I've had a perfect life. I'm, I'm the way I am because I have a perfect chef. And he takes an imperfect, jacked-up life. And look, the, I, the beauty of me preaching and you doing what you're going to do is not what you're doing. The beauty is not the preaching. The beauty is that I shouldn't preach. The beauty is that I should never do this. This is not a good idea. But God goes, look what I'll do. Come on, let me heat this up. Let me move this around. Let me shake this just right. Let me, I'm, I'm building something. I'm, I'm a good God. Come on, you got to trust me. Come on, you got to trust. This is my knowledge. Trust my knowledge, and it will become wisdom. Come on, get understanding. Come under my, come stand under me. Come, come put your life under me. Come put your, your world under me. Come on. God, God is, look. Uh, God is creating something with your life. And he is a, he's not just a, a cook, he is a producer. So he's, 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 he's making a movie, and the movie is called Greatness. And, and, and people are, are sitting in the chairs watching, but they're watching what the producers cut. You know that you found a good producer when he knows how, what to add and what to remove. They say the worst producers are the ones that fall in love with their shots. In, in other words, 
they're so in love with their shots, they just put it all in. And, and then it becomes boring. They leave in the stuff that's a little too long. Or a little, uh, so God, I want to tell you, he has cut the film reel in perfect timing and harmony with what you needed and what you didn't need and what he left on the cutting room floor of your life. He left, I know nobody's seen what he left there. He cuts it out. And certain things that he lets everyone see, he's let them see because what good is a movie that has no plot line? There, you, are, you, are, you have been a walking picture of the victory of God. You are a walking picture of the grace of God. And God... He designed you and I for greatness. Now, when me and my wife planted this church, we had to make a decision. We either build a large church that looks like every other church, taking the systems and the protocol of the past and putting our name on it, taking what works and do it, or we had to make the decision to change the church. I'm not a pastor because I thought one day, man, it'd be nice to be a pastor. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like way better than selling ice cream. Uh, you know, I can have a big church. People can know me. Uh, I can preach. And, and No, no. I didn't want any of this uh, stuff. I, 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 in fact, if, you could, if God will let me out of this, I will go. That might freak you out because I'm here unwillingly. <laughs> I didn't choose this. The creator of the universe chose this for me. At 19 years old, I was signed up to go draw some plans and be an architect, and I was going to be a happy architect. But God came into my life and he said, Jeremy, I'm just asking you, will you stop saying no? I didn't know that meant to be a pastor, but I meant the yes meant first to change myself, to change the way I do things, to change who I am, to see him different. And as I began to change myself, I realized that others needed that same change. And so why we have a church is because we're trying to change the church. We're trying to re-image the church, not to be a new church, but to be a vintage church, to look like the first church. Because I don't feel like the American church looks like the first church. I, I feel we're stuck in our comfort, and we're stuck in our programs, and we're stuck to a clock, and we can only worship when we like the song, and we can only amen when the preacher really revs us up. We don't read our word. We don't pray. We don't have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with movements and pastors. But I'm believing that a group of people would realize it is not the pastor's job to win a city. That there are Peters and there are Marys and there are Johns. There are Stevens. There are Marthas and Ruths in this crowd. The first church was wild. It was wild. It was wild. People... I mean, literally, they're like, are these guys drunk? I mean, if, if people don't think we're drunk every now and then, then we may not look like the first church. I'm talking, they, they were out of their mind. They were not, look, we are not building a comfortable church. In fact, today the air conditioning broke, and I said, so be it. Great. Come on, let's, let's raise up some fearless warriors. I, I chose the wrong day to wear this stinking jacket, but I'm going to sweat up here with the best of them. It's a good jacket, though. 
vintage. Uh, this is not a comfortable church. This, this, but, but Christianity isn't comfortable to my flesh. It's not comfortable to be great. Being great is not easy. Being great it's, it's not just you wake up, it'd be great. Being great is trial and error. Being great is failing over and over again. Being great is I'm still here. Being great is moving forward in the call. Being great is realizing there are people, right? We are blessed here today, man. There are people worshiping in underground rooms because if they worshiped out loud, they'd be thrown in jail for a lifetime. Here we are in America and we have comfortable religion. But we don't want religion here. We want relationship with Jesus. And we want to follow the Messiah. No matter where that leads. For the first disciples, it led to death. Every single one of the disciples except one died a martyr's death. Their heads removed from their bodies. They're put into pots of boiling water. Except for John, who was, who was exiled to Patmos, where they worked at the coal mines, and he wrote the book of Revelations. Man, I think we're so excited about, I want to have an in-depth study of Revelations, but, but maybe we should study about the person who wrote Revelations, and why he wrote, and how he saw, because he was willing to walk through some stuff. He went through some stuff, but he was great. If you've gone through some stuff, it doesn't mean you're not great. God has greatness for your life. And let me say it this way. Greatness doesn't always look like William Wallace in battle. Sometimes greatness looks like changing a diaper. Sometimes greatness looks like being a husband to your wife. Some, sometimes greatness means being a friend to your roommates. Sometimes greatness means inconveniencing yourself in a way that people will never see. Who knows if you're not raising the future Billy Graham? Who knows if you're not raising, come on, you're preparing a way for someone to get, come on, I got some moms in this house that fear the Lord, some wild, fearless, I was going to say feisty, but I don't know if that's a good, I don't know why that word was there, but I think you got to be a little feisty to raise up a world changer. They don't just do what you tell them to do, they're like, no, I'm not going, you're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to learn today, we're going to grow today, we're going to have church today, you I really feel like God has honored me and my wife with that call. If, if I die and never have a mega church, I will be okay. But if I die and don't change the church, or at least inspire a revolution of people to get back to the church, then I will have wasted my life. That's why we're going to write music. That's why we're going to, we're going to, we're not copying people. That's why we're going to be, we're going to be revolutionary in the way that we do church. We're going to go reach people that no one wants to reach because that's what Jesus would do. I, I just want to encourage you. I've been driving around the city and God said, you're seeing people wrong. He told me that. I said, what do you mean? He goes, what if that guy went to your church? How would you greet him? You know what's weird is when someone comes in this room, all of a sudden, all barriers are off. We're like, we smile at people. We're like, maybe this person's nice. I mean, I mean and, and then, we, then we give people hugs. We, we say hi. We, we, we pray for them. We're not afraid of each other. 
it's funny how the same person could go outside this room and so look we're complete most of us are complete strangers with each other i mean like like some of us have never even had a conversation like we've never even talked we're just sitting in close proximity yet for some reason all our barriers are down all our our, all our cultural things are down all our worries are down and we're like wow you must be awesome because you're inside this building let me tell you this. God began to wreck my eyes, and I begin to drive around the city. He goes, that guy's in your church. That guy's in your church. That homeless person's in. And all of a sudden, my fears of hugging someone, of saying hi, of, 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 of saying, hey, can I pray for you, were down because you're in my family. Today, we pulled up in the alley, and there was a guy in the alley doing heroin. And usually, I just kind of get in quick because, you know, I don't want to get robbed. Praise God. And so would you. But today the Lord said, say hi to him. He goes to your church. I just waved at him. I don't know what was going to happen. And he started walking over. And I just said, what's your name? He told me his name. He probably knew more about God than anyone I ever met. He goes to my church. He's a part of my family. But what if, what if we could realize that everywhere in our life is a part of the movie? And every person that we intersect with is a part of that film, that greatness that God has for us doesn't just have to happen in a church building. This is where we're just stopping to get the petrol filled up, the gas in our tank. And we're stopping for a moment to head back out there and see God move in extreme ways and invite more and believe more of this family that God, God has stuck us in L.A. He could have stuck us anywhere, but he said for such a time as this, Carlos and Jordan and, and, and Mary. And, and all these people will be in one place at one time, and together they will impact nations. What am I going to do? I don't know. I can't wait to find out. You and I were born for greatness. And we could come hear this over and over and over again, but if we don't start living out the knowledge we have, I mean, what's the point? I love um, when the Bible starts talking about King Solomon because people were just like drawn to him. Second uh, Chronicles 9.5 says this, she, now the person she uh, is Queen Sheba. You heard of her, huh? I, I mean, I don't know where I heard of her, but I heard of her. She's famous. She's like, if you, if, you, if you said, hey, this is the crown from Queen Sheba, you'd think that's probably worth some money. Like uh, people know she's a famous person. And, she, and just so you know, Queen Sheba is not a Christian. She's not a believer. She doesn't go to King Solomon's church. Uh, she, she's not reading. She didn't drink the Kool-Aid yet. Christian celebrity. She is in her own country, in her own land, doing her own thing, has servants, attendants. You know, a lot of these kings would have hundreds of wives. I don't know if she had hundreds of husbands. She's probably just smarter than that. I just need one husband. That's all I can handle. <laughs> I mean, she was, she had horses and chariots and, and gold and jewels. She was the top ranking queen in all the world and still to this day probably could be put on the top 10 list, I don't know, of queens that there are besides my wife, praise God, um, that there are. Second Chronicles 9.5 says this, she said to the king, King Solomon, little pastor King Solomon, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. In fact, I was in my own country minding my own business and 
people, things, stories, stuff begin to pop up on my feed about your achievements and your wisdom. She didn't say, I begin to just get blown away by your achievements and your knowledge. I mean, you know so much about Jesus. She said, no, I think you have achievements because you have this thing called wisdom. In fact, the Bible declares that Solomon was was actually uh, one of the wisest men in all the earth. Uh, 2 Chronicles 9.22, King Solomon was great in riches and in wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. So he was both richer. So if, if, if you hate wealth, something's wrong with you. This is a man of God. He was both richer and more full of wisdom than all the kings of the earth. Second um, Chronicles 9.23. For all the kings of the earth sought an audience with Solomon to hear his knowledge. Nope. To hear the wisdom God put in his heart. Psalms 51.6. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. So I want to say this. I really feel like this next series, I want us to receive, I want us to begin to walk in wisdom. I will not have done what I need to do if after this series at least three people aren't walking in new wisdom. New wisdom is walking in old knowledge. You don't need new knowledge to walk in new wisdom. You already have all the knowledge you need. You just need to begin to walk in the knowledge you have. Now, let me say this. If you could take one step in wisdom, would that step be worth it? If, if King Solomon's wisdom gave him an audience with the kings of the earth, and I take that same wisdom, because it wasn't King Solomon's, it was God's wisdom in him, and I put it in you, what could it do in your sphere? If it gave him an audience with people he wouldn't have an audience with, what could it do in your and my life? So I don't need more talent. I don't need more degrees. I don't need more people to, to cheer me on. I don't need more resources. I need more wisdom. Because if I have more wisdom, I'll have everything else. And to get wisdom, I simply have to walk in the knowledge I have. I already have the knowledge. I don't need one more sermon. I don't need one more podcast. I don't need 12 more books. I need to open the books I have and remind myself of John 3.16. I need to remind myself of 1 Corinthians. I need to begin to walk in the wisdom I have. What is the wisdom I have? It's, it's the knowledge that I have. I have unlimited knowledge. We, we have the, the most knowledge being thrown at our generation, and we're, we got so much of it, we're sick of it. You know why we're sick of it? Because we see no results from it. The results come from us saying, okay, God, I'm grabbing a hold of this thing called forgiveness. I am scared to death. The disciples, they didn't go to school. They were untrained. In fact, I mean, the one thing they say about them after they get done with this big speech, change the world, do this, they don't go, wow, those guys are bomb. They go, oh, my gosh, these guys are untrained, unschooled, and ordinary. How would you like that? You get off the stage doing something, I go, man, that was so untrained, unschooled, and ordinary. That's how apparent it was that they were just normal dudes. 
Yet they had audiences with kings because they took the word of God serious for the first time. They took what he was saying as, okay, maybe I'll actually apply this. When Jesus tells them, they say, how many times do I have to forgive? And he says, 70 times 7. And they're, and they're like, what does that even mean? He's like basically saying it's unlimited. You, you can't stop forgiving. If you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. Then they said this right after. They didn't say, okay, we'll try really hard. They said, give us more faith. They said, increase our faith. Why? Because they're like, okay, we actually got to go do this. Like if this word was intent, like Jesus didn't preach an hour sermon. It was two minutes. Two minutes with the word of God. And they're like, oh my God, I don't, I don't can, can we get out of this? I mean, this is scary. Like how am I, give us more faith. You know why we don't say that is because we really aren't going to forgive. We're going to forgive when it's convenient. We're not. We're going to kind of live it, and God kind of knows. He kind of sees us. I'm not, I'm not trying to put a weight on the thing. I'm trying to put weight on the thing. I'm trying to help you understand that if we just take one step, even if it's a teeny, eatsy, beatsy step in wisdom, you have transformed your world. Just one little ounce of wisdom. The Bible says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. How do, I, how do I pursue wisdom, not knowledge? You know how I do it? I fear the Lord more than I fear failing. I fear the Lord more than I fear fear. I fear the Lord more than I fear making it. I fear the, if God said it to me, it must be important. I'm going to focus in. I'm going to chew on that. I'm going to receive it. God, grow me. You didn't give me that word to beat me up. Increase my faith so I can step in it. I was born for greatness. I don't even know what that means. How am I going to do that? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take one step. I'm going to take one step towards you. I'm going to take one step. And the Bible says wisdom was given to me. David said wisdom was given to me in the secret. Wisdom is not given to you in the public. Knowledge is given to you in the public, but wisdom is given to you in the secret. What does that mean? When you go home and you're all by yourself, only you choose to follow the word of the Lord in your life. It's in the secret place, in the hiding place, in the dark moments of your life that you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get knowledge lived, which is wisdom, and wisdom will lead to understanding, understanding, understanding. See, I don't know what you're standing under, but if you begin to walk in wisdom, you will stand under his word you will not just have knowledge you will have wisdom which will lead to understanding and if you understand you can lead you know my one prayer before I ever get up here is God help me understand this <laughs> I'm like reading this stuff I'm like I'm so bored with this like I don't even get this it seems so and I'm just like God I am not preaching this till I till it catches fire inside of me I keep kindling I keep moving things I keep shifting things why because it's not hitting me and if it doesn't hit me it can't hit you if I don't understand it how will I help you understand it God wants to move you into understanding I was born for greatness I was see when you move into under understanding Standing under his covering, you leave your covering. Not, not your covering as in your mentors, but your covering of how you're going to do it. Your covering of how you're going to fear. You know what you leave? You leave your little tent. God says, I want to give you more. And you keep looking up, you're like, I got this tent. My covering. My understanding of me. My knowledge. And God tells Abraham, he says, come out of your tent. Come out here in the open. 
I want to show you something. I want to give you sons that will outnumber the stars. He comes out of the canopy of where he's at and into the canopy of where God's called him. I dare you today to say, God, I'm done just getting knowledge. I don't need one more book. I don't. I got enough books to fill up 200 bookshelves. I mean, man, we can start a fire with those books. I need, I need to, I need to, I just, what does this thing mean? What's it all about? What does discipleship look like? What's the great commission? What, what is serving? What is, I need to go vintage. I don't need anything new. I need something old that's more valuable than something new. I, I need, what did the first church do? How did they deal with offense? How do they deal with hurt? How do they deal with disagreement? How, how do they love someone that was hard to love? How did, how did, they, how did they embrace new cultures as, as there was a culture of this crowd coming in with the culture of this? How did they embrace when they started reaching over from, from, the, from the Jews to the Samaritans, then to the Gentiles? How did it all work? How did these leaders lead? Did they go through any difficulty? Did they get frustrated? Oh, there's Paul in prison. What did he do in prison? Let me see what he did in prison. Oh, he didn't complain. He didn't cry. He praised. Oh, okay. So what should I do in prison? What should I do while I'm going through stuff? Well, I can get knowledge or I can walk in wisdom. Okay. I'm going through something right now. I feel like I'm in a spiritual prison. I, I feel like I'm, I'm being chained and shackled to this moment. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm just going to do what he did. I'm just going to worship. Come on, put on some fearless band. It's my modern hymn and we're going to worship. I'm going to sing in my house. People are like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Why are you happy? I'm not happy. I'm, I'm stirring up joy in my life. And this year, I just, we went on vacation, and we went to this water park, and, you know, we went to the Lazy River, and we went, you know, we're going down the slides, and my kids had never been to a water park, so it was just, we were having the time of our life, and I was just embracing it. It was amazing, and we found this little sand patch that we were going to sit on while our kids were playing in the water, so me, so my wife and Brave were sitting in the sand patch, and I went over there, and, and Christy's holding Brave, and, and a few minutes later, he's crying. Because uh, some guy came over and said, you can't sit and play in the sand. No, it's a giant sand thing for kids next to kids uh, who play in sand. And so I'm thinking, first of all, this guy doesn't have any kids. Because if you put sand by kids, they're going to play in the sand. I don't know how to keep my, I mean, I could spank him. I could put him in timeout, but he's going to play, and I might accidentally too. And, and so, so, you know, pastoral me, no, <laughs> feisty me. I had my wife go over there, and I went and sat in the sand with Brave and started playing in the sand. I'm like burying my legs. If you don't know that I'm feisty, you just haven't known me very long. I mean, I'm not as feisty as Christy, but I'm like two steps slower. Maybe three higher than Desi, you know? A little bit of feist. <laughs> um... So I'm just playing in the sand, and then this other guy comes up and goes, excuse me, sir, you cannot play in the sand. I said, so you're telling me like you have sand next to kids, and you don't want us to play in it. I mean, it's weird. He goes, yeah, yeah, just it's dangerous. We can't have you play in the sand. I said, there's like chemicals in here or something? He goes, no, 
all the volleyball players, if you dig a hole, they could fall in. So I turn around, and there's an empty volleyball court with no volleyball players in sight. A whole bunch of kids playing in that sand, too. <laughs> I turn around and said, oh, you mean all those volleyball players? Like all those ones play? You know, anyways. <laughs> and so, anyways, I, at the end of, end of the conversation, I said, look, man, can you tell me what your core values are? of this place, because you're offending a customer that will probably never return. I mean, I'm not just ready to be offended, but I'm starting to get frustrated now because you put sand where we should be able to play. And it's silly. This is a silly illustration, but I'm just for the sake of the whole. And I said, tell me your core values. He goes, safe. You know those guys that take their job way too serious. Safe. Fun and friendly and I said well you got the safe down you started to take away my fun and you're definitely not friendly and then I said can I see your boss and he goes okay so he goes and gets his boss he thinks his boss is going to yell at me his boss comes up hello sir is there anything I can help you with today I go yeah I mean we we're just sitting here my son was playing in the sand and and he goes, oh, yeah, they're having that rule. It's a, it's a dumb rule. And, and you know what? Don't worry about it, sir. Go ahead and play in the sand. I don't think the no volleyball players are going to get hurt. And I said, you good, sir, know your values. Safe, fun, and friendly. I encourage you, next time you go to a place and some person is bougie to you and they're rude, just ask them. What's your company's values? So let me say this. I, I think people come to the church and they have that experience. They're playing in the sand and someone's like, you can't play in the sand. <laughs> Why? Well, there's a lot of volleyball players. Could get hurt. There's no volleyball players. And so then they leave the church because the church oftentimes looks nothing like Jesus. And my prayer is that we would know, if we're gonna be like the first church, we have to know what they value. And we have to remind ourselves of those values. If we're gonna be great, it's gonna take wisdom to live out the knowledge we already have. And so this last year, me and Christy came up with 10 values that we see well, we, we got it out of a book, I'll tell you. I'm not trying to, uh, we got it out of this book. Right here, 10 values. We stole it, like just straight up, no copyrights, just hardcore stole 10 values out of this book. And, and, and this is the only, you know, credit we're going to give right now. I'm just telling you, all the values, they, we stole them out of here. If you wonder where they came from, of this church, of fearless, we have 10 values, and the 11th is our mission. And the 11th says fearless is our mission. 10 values. Now, usually we teach these in our DNA class. But I just thought, you know what? I want to bring this to the church. Because I really feel like everyone that comes is a leader. We'll, we'll still do DNA. But what we're going to do is we're going to take maybe a month, maybe three weeks on each value. And we're going to say, okay, maybe I'm just hearing about it now. But I'm going to begin to try to apply this to my life. If you want to be great, I'm telling you, if you want to be a great dad... Don't focus on being a great dad. Focus on these values, and you'll Im Im immediately become a better dad. 
If you want to be a great mom, focus on these values and you'll immediately become a greater mom. You want to be a greater employee, a greater boss, a greater dreamer. You focus on these values and you and you begin to have understanding through wisdom in these values one at a time. That's where we're going to go one at a time. We're going to say, you know what? Let's not move on until we're starting to walk this out. Until we start to see this in our life. Because what's, like seriously, what's the point? What's the point of one more sermon? I could go preach sermons all over the world. I could, I could, I could, I could do that. But that doesn't bring me joy. What brings me joy is to see wisdom beginning to happen in this community. People that are 15, 21, 32, 54 saying, you know what? I'm walking in new wisdom this year. And because of that, there are new people that are drawn to what is in my life. And so over the next couple of months, we're going to take on one at a time. Jesus is our pursuit. That's one of them. People are our passion. Love is our action. Servanthood is our position. We're going to take some of these core values of what we see in the first church, and we're going to say, you know what? I see a church that love is its action, and I am that church. I see a church that Jesus is their pursuit. I see them, and I want to become that, and I was born for this. I was born for the greatness of this in my life. And look, if you're a leader... You don't look for problems, you already know of them. But you don't speak about problems, you change them. And we're going to change the church. We're going to change the church because the church is broken. The church is unhealthy. The church is not being who it's called to be. And these are the greatest days of the church. There are some amazing churches that are changing the church. But when the average size of churches in America is six people, we have a problem. When the average lifespan of a pastor is nine months, we have a problem. When people are running away from the church instead of running in, we have a problem. The first church, it was added to daily. The first church saw signs, wonders, miracles, all races, all cultures. They were changing social statuses and norms. They were the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And we're going to be that church. If you don't want to be that church, you're not going to like this church. Because we're going to upset, not unbelievers, we're going to upset Christians. Because we're running, not perfect, we're running reckless into His love. And we're coming out into the canopy of His grace. And we're saying, all those stars are mine. You spoke the word over me. You gave me life and joy. And I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished leaving a legacy. I'm not finished changing the world. I'm not finished... Thank you for listening. If you have something you need prayer for, we would love to pray for you. Visit fearlessla.com slash fearless TV to fill out a prayer request or to find more information about Fearless LA.